Well, good morning, Center Church. It's good to see you. Good to be with you. This is actually my first time being with you since you guys moved in to this new building. And so I just want to say, yeah, this is incredible. Incredible to be here. I mean, after all the years, I'm looking at just seeing faces of you who have just been so faithful over the years, setting up, tearing down. Uh, Way to go. Uh, I I have no doubt that God is going to uh, use this tool, because that's really what a building is. It's just a tool uh, to reach people in Byron Center with the gospel, people who need to know the person of Jesus. And so uh, thank you for your faithfulness. It is such a joy. I'm excited to be with you and to be uh, for you on this journey um, as part of the Zero Collective. Uh, it's just awesome that we get to do this together, isn't it? It's just an incredible thing. And so John uh, just talked about Psalm 16. That's what I wanted to begin with, with Psalm 16 as we started out this series today. And uh, my wife, Carrie, we've been married almost 23 years now. Uh, My wife uh, tells me that I'm the dramatic one in our marriage. Have you ever noticed this? In most marriages, there's like a calm, rational person. And even those of you watching online, I bet you, you know, in most marriages, there's like the dramatic one in the marriage. That's just how it works. I'm the dramatic one, meaning like whatever, whenever something happens, I always tend to freak out and take like the worst possible case scenario in my head. You know what I'm saying? Uh, When we were in college together, it was actually the year that Carrie and I were engaged, but we were still in college at Indiana Wesleyan University. I literally walked out of my class one day into the parking lot there of the building where my class was, and I was looking for my car so I could, you know, drive back to my dorm. And so I walked around the parking lot a couple times. I could not find my car in the parking lot anywhere. And so I came to the inevitable conclusion that somebody must have stolen my beat-up 1987 Cutlass Cruiser station wagon. <laughs> Carrie was suspicious. I called her up. I'm like, somebody stole my car. She's like, really? I, this is what I remember her saying. She literally said, are you sure you didn't just forget that you walked to class and you, know, you parked it somewhere else in some other parking lot on campus somewhere, which was kind of insulting, Like, no, I didn't. I didn't forget that I walked to class. So I literally freaked out. I walked straight from my class. I, from that parking lot, I walked to the uh, campus security office, which is, uh, which was upstairs at the time in the student admissions building. And I went through this process of reporting my car stolen. I filled out the paperwork. I did everything you had to do. I I reported my car stolen. And then I walked from the campus security office back to my dorm. As I'm walking through the parking lot of my dorm, to my great shock, there in a parking space, in my dorm parking lot, I see that the thief who stole my car had parked it back in the dorm parking lot. (laughs) Or at least that's my story, and that's what I'm sticking to forever. (laughs) Have you ever freaked out about something? And kind of, you get to the other side of it, and you realize, what was I freaking out about? Have you ever had that experience? Uh, I, I, I love Psalm 16 because it draws out this idea. Um, this is a, a quote from Viktor Frankl. Uh, he was uh, a Holocaust survivor, and he wrote one of my favorite books, Man's Search for Meaning, and, and he makes this statement. He said, between stimulus and response lies a space. In that space lie our freedom and power to choose a response. And in our response lies our growth and our happiness. What Viktor Frankl is saying there is that if something has happened, if some some event, some crisis has taken place in your life, you are in a space right now. Uh, And you have a choice of how to respond. You You have a choice of where you're going to go. 
Uh, so if you've been through something like, I don't know, a global pandemic or something like that, you're in a space. Uh, for me, I just completed uh, chemotherapy. I've, I've been, since January, I've been going through uh, chemotherapy for um, a form of cancer that I have. And, and thankfully, praise God, prognosis is good, and I've made it through that. But it's been, I've been in it, yeah, praise God for that. And I'll just say thank you. Many of you, even at this church, have reached out to me and just let me know you're praying for me. I have no doubt I'm, uh, that God has just been with me in this journey because of the prayers of so many of you. But, but there's been a space I've been in, and, and in that space between stimulus and response, you get to figure out, where do I go with this? Um, so that's the question that Psalm 16 really asks us and invites us to look at, is where do you go in tough times? Who do you call? What's interesting about this psalm is it's called a miktam. That's what it's called. Uh, it's, a, it's a miktam of David. King David is the one who wrote this psalm. Now, we don't really know what the word miktam means. It's a Hebrew word that nobody really has a definition for. Nobody knows what that word means. But if you look at all the other miktams of David and the other uh, writers of the psalms, for those psalms that are called miktams, what you see, the common denominator is, they are all psalms that are written in the midst of a tough time. So they're not psalms of lament necessarily, but they're also not psalms of praise. They're psalms kind of in that space between stimulus and response when, when, when something's just happened, something has broken down, some news has just hit. And that's where David was in, in this point in his life. It's a psalm that asks the question, where am I going to go? What am I going to do in this, this tough time? And so what I love about Psalm 16 is that it serves as a roadmap for us of where do you go? Where do you turn? How, how do you begin to engage God when you're in the midst of one of these moments in life, when, you, when you're in that space between stimulus and response trying to figure out where do you go? What, what do you do? And so what I'd love to do is I, I believe that this psalm can serve as a roadmap for you if you're in that time when you're feeling pressure. And so I just want to walk through this psalm and just allow it to serve as a roadmap for us this morning. And so that's what we're going to do. You heard John just read it uh, a moment ago. But this is, how, this is how David begins the psalm. Uh, go ahead to that first slide there. What he does is he, is he begins the psalm by saying, apart from you, Lord, I have no good thing. Apart from you, I have no good thing. Uh, some translations say, my goodness is nothing apart from you. So in other words, what, what King David is saying right there is he's saying, I have nothing inside of me that can fix this brokenness that's in me. Apart from you, I have no good thing. Uh, I want you to realize how opposite that is of what our culture says uh, that we should do. Whenever we're in a tough time, our culture actually says something very different. What our culture will tell us, what uh, the, the pop psychologists will tell us, what the self-help gurus will tell us, is that all the problems that you face in this world are actually external to you. They're outside of you. But don't worry, the good news is you have what it takes on the inside to overcome every problem you have. That's what we're told. All your problems are basically external. They're outside of you, but don't worry, inside of you. And so what we hear is, then live your truth, right? Because the best answer is just to live your truth, be your true authentic self, because you have what it takes on the inside to overcome. So choose whatever identity is you, whether it's a sexual identity, whether it's whatever identity it is, and just live that fully, and you will have the power to overcome. Uh, I was talking to a friend of mine who's actually a Christian counselor. She's been a Christian counselor for many years, and she said there's such a difference between what people come to a counselor for today versus several years ago. 
And what she said was, uh, she's noticed that several years ago when people would come for counseling, what they were coming for is they were coming to work on themselves. So they would literally come to her and they, and they would say to a counselor, uh, I need help. Can you help me become a better father? I need help to work on me. I need to become a better husband. I need to become a better wife, whatever it is. I need to become a better parent or can you help me become a better leader? Whatever it was, it was work on me. And she said, what's changed is that now when people come to a counselor, what they're most often coming to a counselor asking for is help with dealing with someone else. So uh, they come and they say, can you help me deal with my spouse? My spouse won't change. They won't do what they're supposed to do. Can you help me deal with them? Can you help me figure out how to deal with these toxic people over here at my job? Can you help me? That's what, we, that's what they ask for. And, and that's because what we've learned in our culture is all our problems are external. But don't worry, inside you have what it takes to overcome. What David is saying here, what he begins this whole psalm with is so different. And it's what the Bible says from Genesis to Revelation all the way through. The Bible says something so different. The Bible actually teaches that all the problems you have actually are internal. All, all the problems that you face are actually internal. You have a sin nature. Uh, you, you have something broken within you. John, you're going to notice at some point, Lennon is going to get to a point, she's going to learn how to lie. And you're not going to teach her. All of us who have kids know this. We didn't have to teach your kids how to lie. There's a certain age they just get to and they just start lying. You're like, Where did, how did they learn that? Where did that come from? It's because all of us inside, we have a brokenness, we have a bent, we have a sin nature inside of us. And so what the Bible teaches is all your biggest problems are actually internal to you, and so what you need is help from the outside. You have to have help from the outside. And so that's what David begins this psalm with. He begins with, apart from you, I have no good thing. I don't have inside of me what it takes to fix what's going on in my life right now. That's what he's saying. I don't have it. I don't have what it takes. I need help from the outside. Can I just tell you today, every moment of healing is going to begin with that statement. I need help from the outside. I don't have what it takes. Uh, every, every moment of spiritual growth in your life is going to begin with that statement. I need help from the outside. That's how David begins this psalm. Apart from you, I have no good thing. I recognize that I need help from the outside. And then he goes on. The next line he says is those who run after other gods will suffer more and more. I will not pour out libations of blood. This is the NIV. I will not pour out libations of blood to such gods or take up their names on my lips. Now we read that and we say, well, what in the world are we supposed to do with that? Right? What does that have to do? Libations of blood? What, we, what is he talking about? Well, what David's referring to there is the practices of idol worship of his day. He's referring to all the other gods, the things that people would run to in order to cope with what was happening in their, in their lives and in their world, they would run to different forms of idolatry. So what David is, is realizing, he says, I don't have what it takes inside of me. I need help from the outside. But what the world tends to turn to for outside help, I can't turn to that either. I can't turn to those idols. I can't turn to those other gods either because all that's going to lead to is brokenness and suffering and more pain and more anguish. And so the simple question to ask right here is just, where do you go? Uh, where, what do you turn to in order to cope? When you're in that space between stimulus and response, when the pressure builds and you don't know what to do, how do you deal with it? Do you turn to alcohol? Uh, do you turn to drugs? Do you turn to pornography? Do you turn to, I don't know, 
food for some of us. For some of us, it's binging on Netflix to just kind of escape for a while. Um, for some of us, maybe it's, it's even our kids. Like we pour ourselves into our kids and we make our kids an idol sometimes as an attempt to try to deal with you know, what's happening inside of our own lives. But, but all of us, we have these temptations in our lives of where we turn when we know we need help from the outside. Maybe we come to that point where we realize we don't have what it takes inside, but where we go is not healthy. And if you think about our, our world, I mean, we're taught to indulge those things. We're taught from the time we were very little. We actually celebrate and make, uh, you know, we make addicts in our lives and in our world actual heroes. We celebrate addicts. From the time we're very little, actually, this was one of my uh, childhood heroes. Uh, <laughs> clearly an addict, if ever there was one, <laughs> right? I mean, this is what we do. We, 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 we kind of, the message that we get from our culture is if something's broken, if something's not working in your life, go indulge. Go figure out a way to indulge something. And, and David is recognizing, he's saying, I need help from the outside, but that's not the help I need. If I indulge myself in those things, I'm actually just, I, I'm just going to suffer more. And so, so the roadmap is, I don't have what it takes for the inside. I need help from the outside, but I'm not going to run to these idols. And then finally, he gets to really what is the turning point in the whole psalm. And, and this is a statement you heard, you heard John read it a moment ago. He says, Lord, you alone are my portion and my cup. You make my lot secure. You alone are my portion and my cup. You make my lot secure. And so, so what he's doing, he's, he's turning to the Lord. He's recognizing, I've got to turn to God alone in the midst of this time. If I, want to, if I want God to be involved in this at all, if I want any help, I got to have help from the outside. I need to turn to the Lord. Now, what's interesting is whenever a, a biblical author talks about their portion, what they're actually referring to there is their inheritance. In ancient Israel, your inheritance was everything. It was a huge thing in your life. In fact, even the translation John just read, he, he doesn't even say the word portion. He says inheritance. You, Lord, you are my inheritance. Now, think about this. This is King David writing this, Right? King David wrote this psalm. If you've uh, read anything about King David's life in the Old Testament, what you know is that King David was the youngest of several sons. King David had no inheritance, okay? When you were, and you were the youngest of several sons, the oldest son in, in ancient Israel, the oldest son would get the lion's share of the inheritance, and then it would kind of trickle down from there. By the time it got to David, David had no inheritance. There was nothing coming his way. So when he says, Lord, you are my portion, you are my cup. You are my inheritance. What he's saying is God is the one who's going to take care of me. I don't have to look somewhere else. I don't have to find it somewhere else. God is the one who is going to take care of me. He will be my inheritance. It's, this very, it's actually this really beautiful phrase, this really beautiful way of describing what, what God is going to be in my life. When I've got nothing else coming to me, God, you're the one who's going to sustain me. You're going to be the one that carries me. And then he doesn't just stop there. The next phrase he says, I keep my eyes always on the Lord. With him at my right hand, I will not be shaken. So catch this again on this roadmap. It's, it's a key moment. He doesn't just say, yeah, I turned to God one time. Yeah, there was this time in my life once I, I turned to the Lord, you know, when, when things were rough. No, he says, I keep my eyes focused on the Lord. I keep my eyes there. With him at my right hand, I will not be shaken. D David's recognizing uh, that this is an ongoing thing. This is a constant relationship where he's keeping his eyes focused on God in the midst of this time he's in. What he recognizes is that darkness in our lives actually doesn't need to destroy you. 
Darkness just needs to distract you. I love what Watchman Nee, famous spiritual writer, said. He said that Satan's main goal is to get you to act unaided. That's really Satan's main goal. We, we think that Satan's main goal is like to destroy us or like to put some giant sin in our path that's going to take us down or to attack us in all these ways. What Satan actually tries to do most of the time is just distract us. He doesn't need to destroy you. He just needs to distract you to get you to act unaided because he knows you'll do the rest. When we live like that, we'll do the rest. We'll do all the hard work. We'll turn back to ourselves and we'll go, well, I guess I got to just take this on myself or we'll turn to, to one of the world's idols, right? And we'll try to indulge ourselves in that way. And so the enemy, all he's trying to do is just to, to distract us from that and from being able to do that. And so if you look at like Jesus in John 15, Jesus describes the kind of relationship we're called to have with him. And the way he describes it, many of you have read it before. He says, I'm the vine, you are the branches. And so he, he says, remain in me because apart from me, you can do nothing. So the relationship we have with Jesus is we remain in him. We remain in the vine and he's the one who actually does it. So if you're in the midst of a tough time right now, if you're going through something, if you're in that space between stimulus and response right now in your life, your job is actually not to fix it. Your job is actually not to come up with a solution yourself. Your job is to remain in him. David says, I keep my eyes fixed on the Lord. I don't let all this other stuff distract me. I keep my eyes fixed on the Lord because I know my job is to remain in him and it's his job to carry the burden. That's the relationship Jesus invites us to have through him. And the, the beautiful part about this psalm is as if that wasn't enough, that's already such a beautiful roadmap of where we go when we're in the midst of a tough time. But my favorite part of this psalm is actually the last part of it. This psalm doesn't just tell us where to go when we're in the midst of a tough time, but it actually ends with a promise. And the promise is that all of our tough times, no matter what we go through, will eventually be reconciled in the person of Jesus. Check this out. This is so powerful. This is how David, this is King David writing in the Old Testament. He ends by saying this, Therefore my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest secure because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead, nor will you let your faithful one see decay. Now we read that and we, we realize like King David wrote that. But what's amazing is if you go forward into the New Testament, into Acts chapter 2 in the New Testament, Peter, the Apostle Peter, is giving a sermon on the day of Pentecost, and Peter actually quotes Psalm 16 in that sermon. And what Peter says in Acts chapter 2 is he says, actually, King David in this moment was speaking prophetically. He was talking about someone other than himself when he said those words. Peter's logic and his reasoning is, you know, how could David be talking about himself? He says, you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead, nor will you let your faithful one see decay. And Peter's logic is, isn't David dead? Didn't he die? Didn't his body see decay? He died, you know, generations and generations ago. So Peter's logic is he was in that moment speaking prophetically about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's what he was speaking about. It was, it was Jesus who came from the fruit of his body from the line of King David, Jesus came, and actually the phrase, the faithful one, is actually a reference to the Messiah. That's, that's known throughout the Bible, that whenever you see that, the faithful one, that's a reference to Jesus. Jesus was the faithful one. He was the one who did what we couldn't do on our behalf, and he did it on our behalf. 
and we couldn't do it for ourselves. And when Jesus was raised to a new life, when Jesus was raised uh, to, from the resurrection, what he did is he made it possible for all of us. He took care of the biggest enemy, the only real enemy that really any of us will ever face, which is death itself. And he overcame it. And, and he gave us this promise in him. I love what uh, George Herbert said. He made this statement. He said, death used to be an executioner. But the gospel has made him just a gardener. Isn't that beautiful? He's saying all death can actually do to us now is just plant us in the ground. That's it. That's all it has the power to do. And just like if you plant a bulb in the ground this time of year, what's going to happen is a flower is going to grow up. Something different, a plant, something different is going to grow up and will be raised. Because of Jesus' resurrection, we too are going to be raised to a new life in Christ. We're going to be raised different because of what Jesus did for us. As I think about uh, this past several months for me, um, the reason I chose Psalm 16 to preach on and to, to start this whole series on is because it's become such a meaningful psalm for me over the last few months. In January, I, I got the news that I was going to have to go through chemotherapy and I was diagnosed uh, when I was 38 years old with non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. I went through radiation at that time. And they told me at some point you're going to get this news, but you're never ready for it. And so in January, when I got the news, I would love to tell you that I, I walked this path that we were talking about today. I would love to tell you that I, uh, that I, I was uh, you know, praying Psalm 16 every single day. That's not what I did. Um, in that space between stimulus and response. And again, I think the biggest battle we face is in our minds whenever we're in that space. Because wherever your thoughts go, wherever your mind goes, that's where the rest of you is going to go. If you're going through something. And so if I'm, if I'm being totally honest, where I went uh, in January when I found out the news is I went to Google. And I began to just, I would lose like an hour at a time. I would literally just be on my phone Googling things about my diagnosis, about the treatment I was getting, about the chemotherapy drugs and the side effects. And I mean, I just went crazy Googling this stuff. And the, here's the lie you believe, um, you know, when you go through something like that. The, the lie you believe is that if I can just understand it better, the more information I have, then the more in control I will be and the better I will feel. But actually the opposite happens. The more you learn about it, the more you realize you don't have control. You, you really have no control over what's going to happen to you. And the more it leads to anxiety and fear and worry. And so uh, my wife is a nurse, Carrie. And so I, I would literally, I would, I would lose like an hour of time. I didn't even know where the hour went. I was just on my phone Googling all this stuff. And I come to her, you know, all freaked out. And I'd say, look at this, look at this. What do you think of this? And finally, uh, my wife just said to me, listen, I am not going to be responsible for all the freaking out you're doing after Googling things for two hours straight. I told you she's the calm one, right? And the rational one, I'm the freak out. She literally was just like, I'm not going to be responsible for talking you off the ledge every time you do this every day. And so there was just this period of time there where I, I don't know what to say other than just I was, I was freaking out. And so what it's been at a certain point, it, it, this becomes something where you have to train your mind, okay? What we're talking about, when David says, I keep my eyes fixed on the Lord, it's not like a, it's not like a, just a magical thing. That's intention. 
You have to train yourself to do this. You have to train your mind. You have to say, when, when everything starts to freak out, and what I started to do was whenever I would start to freak out and think about, oh man, what's, what about this, what about this, or I'd get some new piece of information, I start to freak out, and my, my impulse was to grab the phone and start Googling. I, I, psalm 16 became a very precious psalm to me during this season. It just became, nope, that's not where I go. I'm gonna go to the Lord. Lord, apart from you, I have no good thing. Outside of you, I don't have what it takes to fix this. I need help from the outside. And I'm not going to run to these things over here. And believe me, I've got mine. You've got yours. It's Google, but it's other things too. I'm going to keep my eyes fixed on the Lord. Lord, you are my portion. You are my cup. You are my inheritance. All my good things come from you. And, and I'll tell you, as, 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 as you do that, what, what you come to realize is that he will meet you in that. And he met me in that. He's met me every single day, every single step of the, of the way with it. And, and I, mean, I can honestly stand here and say to you today, you know, because of this, because of this journey of constantly going back to the Lord, I mean, yes, I have my days where I freak out. But honestly, I can say to you, cancer may or may not define the way that I die someday. It may or may not define the way that you die someday, but I can tell you this, cancer has no power to define the way that you live. None. Because the power has been broken the moment the stone was rolled away and Jesus rose from the grave. Our greatest hopes, everything that threatens us today has already been defeated. It's already been won. So we keep our eyes fixed because he's the one who will see us through. Would you bow your heads with me? I'll just close with this challenge. You already heard John say it earlier. It's summertime. You're in a space. If you're tired, if you're lonely, if you're frustrated, if, you just, if you're in the midst of something and you're trying, you're, it's a mictam moment, you're going, where do I go with this? I want to challenge you to run to him, to allow him to be your portion, to allow him to be your inheritance, for him to be your cup, and to keep your eyes focused on him. Lean in, like John said, lean in to your friends here at the Center Church. Lean into his word, the word of God. Lean into Psalm 16. Lean into the abiding presence of Jesus. And so Jesus, we just come to you right now. And we recognize that you are the friend that's, that sticks closer than a brother. You are the one who is not abandoned to the realm of the dead. You are the one who did not see decay. And, and through you, we have life. So right now, Jesus, we put our faith and our trust in you. And we ask you to meet us as we remain in you, as we sit in your presence. We just recognize today, God, it's not our job to fix it. It's not our burden to carry. It's yours. All you invite us to do, our only job this morning is to abide in you. It's to remain in you. It's to keep our eyes fixed, steadfast on you. Because you're the author and the definer of our lives right now and for all of eternity. And that is a hope that is greater than anything else in this world. So we thank you for the gospel, Jesus. We thank you for your death on our behalf and we thank you for your resurrection and the hope it brings us and we look to you right now. So God, would you do it? 
And as you do it in our lives, as you accomplish your purposes, God, would you help us to be faithful to give you the glory? God, even just sitting here in this building right now, the fact we're even here is a testament to your power at work. That when we are faithful, when we look to you, and we keep looking to you, and it might be a long time, it might be 12 years, it might be 15 years, it might be 20 years, but you are the one who accomplishes it. We love you, Jesus. We thank you. It's in your name we pray. And everybody said,